Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to be back and to see all of you here this morning at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. However, before we begin this morning, I just wanted to say thank you to both Pastor Ricardo and to Matt for doing such an excellent job in leading this congregation in worship last week. And to thank all of you for giving me the opportunity to be away and to preach at Christ Alone Fellowship Church last week as well. However, for as beautiful as their congregation is, and as encouraging as our time together was, man, did I miss all of you. As there is honestly no place in the world I would rather be on a Lord's Day than right here in this building with my church family and worshiping with all the saints here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And thus, long story short, I missed you all, and I am so glad to be back. Nevertheless, as for our sermon today, church, we'll once again be in Mark chapter 10, and we'll be looking specifically this morning at verses 17 through 31, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ meets a rich young man, or the account more commonly known as the story of the rich young ruler, which all takes place in Mark chapter 10, following Jesus Christ, initially sharing some teachings on the subject matter of divorce. Since some Pharisees, church, or some religious leaders of the day came up to Jesus Christ and asked him in verse 2, for is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? To which Jesus Christ then explained to them that although God did indeed make a concession for divorce, as seen in Deuteronomy chapter 24, that that concession for divorce by God was made not because that was ever God's desire for marriage, but instead because of his people's hardness of heart. Since our God's desire for marriage, church, ever since the very beginning of creation, as we see in verses 7 through 9, was for a man to leave his father and mother and to hold fast to his wife and that the two shall become one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And thus, although our God has indeed made two allowances for divorce, those allowances being sexual immorality, Matthew chapter 19, and when a non-Christian spouse deserts or separates themselves from their Christian spouse, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the fact of the matter remains, church, that our God's desire and standard and ideal for his people within the covenant of marriage always has been and always will continue to be for their marriage on this side of eternity to be a constant and enduring and permanent relationship. To which Jesus Christ then, after some people brought their children to Jesus Christ so that he might touch them, and his disciples then began to rebuke them, Jesus Christ, he then said in verses 14 and 15, let the children come to me, for do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In essence, as Ricardo articulated and explained so well last week, 
that the kingdom of God does not belong to those church who think that they warrant it or who think that they are good enough for it or who think that they deserve to gain entrance into it, but that instead the kingdom of God is only for those who humbly and to meekly receive the gift of a kingdom like that of a lowly child and who depend completely then, church, on God and on God alone in order to be saved. Hence the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which is exactly where we are going to pick up in our text this morning, and which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For it is only by the grace of God that any man can be saved and become part of the kingdom of God forever. For it is only by the grace of God that any man can be saved and become part of the kingdom of God forever. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 10, as we will be looking specifically this morning at verses 17 through 31. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then fear not, my friend, because there is a Bible located in the chair in front of you right here, right now, with your name on it. And thus, please, please, please feel free at this time, again, if you do not have or do not own a Bible, to simply then grab and to keep one of our church Bibles as our gift to you this morning. And not only that, but also then, open that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 846, and join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 10 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 17 through 31. Where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus Christ looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. 
And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, as I read through this text this morning, this account of the rich young ruler, my mind instantly goes to the numerous conversations I have had throughout my life, how this was the text you have used, Father, to bring so many people to faith in Jesus Christ. That they saw that Christ was not the pearl of great price in their life, but that it was their possessions, or their idols, or their counterfeit gods. And Lord, that you convicted them and used this text to let them see the light that the true believer, the true disciple of Jesus Christ will be willing to forfeit everything that this world has to offer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Since man cannot serve two masters, he cannot love both you, God, and money. And thus, if there is anyone here this morning, Father, that thinks they might be a believer that thinks they might be a Christian, that might even be a member here today at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, and yet is worshiping two gods this morning in their own minds, Father, convict them, I pray. Let them see the idol in their life this morning, and let them not follow the way of the rich young ruler here, and run away from Jesus Christ back to their own possessions, but instead, let them be willing to forsake those possessions and to worship only you, God. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning, Lord, to rely completely on you and you alone, so that this entire surface today, Father, is an offering that glorifies your Son, Jesus Christ, and you, Father, above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. For a man can either wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life, or he can cling to his own possessions here on earth and not receive the gift of eternal life, but he cannot do both. For a man can either wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life, or he can cling to his own possessions here on earth and not receive the gift of eternal life but he cannot do both. Verses 17 through 22, which reads, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So as we see here in verse 17, as Jesus Christ was setting out on his journey, likely from that of Perea, Mark chapter 10, verse 1, toward that of Jerusalem, or toward the place where he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately be handed over to be crucified, a man then, church, ran up to Jesus Christ and knelt before him. A man who, as we see in verse 22, was a rich man, and as we see in Matthew chapter 19, was a young man, and as we see in Luke chapter 18, was a ruler. Hence the story of the rich young ruler here. Nevertheless, despite this man's power and wealth and authority here, church, as we go on to see in verse 17, for not only does this man run up to Jesus Christ and kneel down before Jesus Christ, but he also then goes on to ask Jesus Christ, good teacher, for what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus Christ responds back to this rich, this rich young ruler here in verse 18, by saying to him, for why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. Which a lot of skeptics here, church of Jesus Christ, when they see this text, for they love to say, aha, you see, for even Jesus Christ himself here admitted that he was not good, that he was not sinless, and that he was not perfect like that of God. However, Jesus Christ was not making a statement about himself here, church. But instead, as Mark Strauss goes on to explain, what Jesus Christ was getting at here was that no human being can be called good because of what he or she has done. For salvation cannot be earned by merit since only God is truly good. In other words, Jesus' statement here was not self-referential or Christological, but instead it concerned the nature of fallen humanity and prepared the audience for his subsequent teaching on the impossibility of salvation apart from complete dependence on God. To which Jesus Christ then goes on to say to the rich young ruler here in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Outlining here, church, in essence, the final six of the Ten Commandments are the ones that deal specifically with how we interact and behave toward one another. Likely using the command, do not defraud, in verse 19, as the application of the Tenth Commandment, or the commandment, thou shall not covet. Nevertheless, in hearing all of this, the rich young ruler then responds back to Jesus Christ in verse 20 by saying to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. 
and that he sincerely believed here, church, that since he had not killed anyone or committed adultery with anyone or stolen from anyone, bore a false witness against anyone, defrauded anyone, and honored his father and mother, that he was able then, as one commentator writes, to achieve eternal life based on his own merits. To which Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 21, looked at him and loved him. Not resented him here, church, nor despised him here, church, nor shunned or loathed or cursed or denounced him here, church, but instead, seemingly because of this man's true sincerity about obtaining eternal life here, Jesus Christ, verse 21, looked at him and loved him, and in doing so said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me." And that Jesus Christ did not tell this man here only what he wanted to hear, nor did he tell him only what he desired to hear, nor even did he tell him something that would only tickle his ears and make him feel good about himself here, but instead, with eternal life hanging in the balance, Jesus Christ in love told this man exactly what he needed to hear. Again, that being verse 21, that you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give your money to the poor and in doing so you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And thus since the first commandment church in Exodus chapter 20 makes clear that we are to have no other gods before the one true God. What Jesus Christ then was ultimately getting at here in verse 21 was that of the counterfeit God that was at this time reigning and ruling over this rich young ruler's life. And I say that because as we go on to see in verse 22, disheartened by this saying, the rich young ruler then, for he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and that it was his great possessions here, church, and his great wealth here, church, and his great property and prosperity and riches here, church, that were ultimately the God over his life to the point that he quite simply could not give them up here, church, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And thus, as D.L. Moody once wrote, for let us then be sure to learn a lesson from the way of the farmer here. And how he deals with the little shoots and stems that spring up around the trunk of an apple tree. For at first they may look promising, and the one who has not learned any better might welcome their growth. However, the farmer knows that these little shoots or stems will draw the life sap away from the main tree and ultimately injure the tree to the point that it will produce an inferior fruit. Therefore, the farmer then takes an axe and a hoe, and he cuts away these menacing life suckers so that the tree then can produce a much more plentiful and greater crop. And thou shalt have no other gods before me is the pruning knife in which God uses on us. And that from the very beginning to the very end, the Bible calls us to wholehearted allegiance to the one true God. 
and that we are to have absolutely no compromises whatsoever with any other gods. And thus, let us be honest with ourselves here this morning, church, as we contemplate if there is anything in our lives right here, right now, that we would struggle to give up or to walk away from for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, church, as Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either, he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, for you cannot serve God and money. And thus, let us all be sure, here this morning, that we are all truly willing to forsake everything that this world has to offer for the sake of Jesus Christ, and that we do not then, church, follow in the footsteps of the rich young ruler here, and will walk away from Jesus Christ in order to keep that of our own possessions because the one who does walk away from Jesus Christ in order to worship that of their own possessions instead of Jesus Christ for they will not then church receive the gift of eternal life but instead will lose their lives and be thrown into the depths of hell forever since it is absolutely impossible church to worship God and that of any other counterfeit gods and still receive the gift of eternal life. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. For all things are possible for our God, even that of saving sinners from their sins. For all things are possible for our God, even that of saving sinners from their sins. Verses 23 through 27, which reads, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So after the rich young ruler went away sorrowful in verse 22, because quite frankly, he simply could not give up all his great possessions for the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ then, church, for he then looked around and said to his disciples in verse 23, for how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus Christ is not saying here, church, that it is a sin to make a lot of money. But instead, what Jesus Christ was getting at here, church, was that wealth, just as we saw in the case of the rich young ruler here today, that it has the ability to become an idol, and that of a counterfeit God, and even that of a security blanket for someone, so much so that they ultimately then end up placing their trust in their wealth instead of Jesus Christ. 
To which Jesus Christ then goes on to say to his disciples here in verse 24, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 25, that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm sure that many of you heard some of the unique explanations that are out there today that try to diminish or to weaken exactly what Jesus Christ means here in verse 25. One of the most popular explanations being that the eye of the needle is mentioned here in verse 25 actually refers to some kind of small gate that people could go through in order to enter the city of Jerusalem. And if a camel then wanted to enter through this aforementioned gate, that the camel then would have to kneel down and take off everything that it was carrying in order to do so. And that's in signifying here, church, that if a rich man then really wanted to enter into the kingdom of God, that he'd also then have to be willing to get on his knees and to give up his wealth in order to be able to do so. And although that sounds all well and good in theory here, church, the fact of the matter is that there is no real legitimate evidence out there today that a gate like that actually ever existed during this time. And thus, because of that, what Jesus Christ then seems to be saying here instead in verse 25 is that quite simply, it would be easier for a giant 10 foot long six foot high, an approximately 1,000 pound camel to wiggle its way through the teeny tiny eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man who has placed his faith and his wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Or as Kent Hughes simply puts it, Jesus Christ is categorically here saying that it is impossible for a man or a woman who trusts in their riches to get into heaven. And thus after hearing all this, Jesus' disciples then, as we go on to see in verse 26, for they then were exceedingly astonished. And they asked Jesus Christ, for who then can be saved? Likely because they believed at this time, church, just like many other Jews falsely believed at this time, that wealth and riches and money were a sign of God's blessing. And thus, they were likely wondering here that if even those with wealth and riches and money or those with God's supposed divine favor on them could not secure for themselves a place in the kingdom of God, well then, who could? And Jesus Christ, he responds back to them here by saying in verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. In essence, it is utterly impossible, church, for a rich man or a poor man, a smart man or a dull man, a black man or a white man, a worldly man or even that of a religious man to enter the kingdom of God outside of the grace of God. Theologian E.J. Haynes for he once shared that once while he was pacing back and forth awaiting a train at a railroad station, that he saw a little sparrow imprisoned within the sliding sash or panel of a window there. And that over and over and over again, the little sparrow had thought that he had found a way of escape from the window, but that it was instead simply a glass wall all around him. For the little sparrow had 
beaten its wings to rags and its feathers to shreds, for even the glass at that point was covered in the little bird's blood. For this dear little bird likely was in that glass dungeon for hours, fighting so hard to get out, but at this time had simply sank into the quiet for mere exhaustion. To which Haynes then, in seeing all of this, ran over to the window and threw up the panel as quickly as he could in order to let the oppressed little sparrow out. And cannot Jesus Christ also open the prison doors for men who are also trapped in the dreadful bonds of pain and dishonor and sin? However, suppose here that this little sparrow held yelled back to me, as Haynes remarks, that he did not want my mercy but instead only wanted justice because he wanted to conduct his life on his own and not be indebted to anyone. Which is similar to how so many people act today. People who are ripping themselves to shreds against the impossible, all while they ignore the only one who can do the impossible for them. That being set them free from their sins. Article 12 and our BFC's Articles of Faith concerning that of our salvation, beautifully and accurately and so profoundly states that our salvation, Christian, is the work of God. Hebrews 7, verse 25. And that it does not matter, church, where you come from, or how much money you have, or what your background is, or what your education level is, what your parents' last name is, or how holy or righteous or good you think you might be, because the fact of the matter is, if you desire to enter the kingdom of God and to receive the gift of eternal life, you, oh man, can do nothing to earn it. Since the only way anyone can receive the gift of eternal life and become part of the kingdom of God forever is by the divine grace and the work of God. And thus let us all then grasp this morning, church, that our salvation was not accomplished for us by any of our works or merits, achievements or deeds, but that instead our salvation from its commencement all the way to its consummation has been accomplished for us by our God alone. And thus marvel then this morning, Christian, at the grace of your God, the mercy of your God, the love of your God, and at the fact that your God did for you, Christian, something that is utterly impossible for you to do. That being, he has saved you from your sins, given you the gift of eternal life, and made you part of his eternal kingdom forever. And he was able to do that for you, Christian, since all things are possible for our God. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to do so by beginning with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, how exactly this God-man named Jesus Christ saved sinners from their sins, and how he now offers the gift of eternal life to all who place their trust in him. And he, Jesus Christ, accomplished all of that non-Christian by initially coming into this world as truly God and as truly man and by living for us the life that we could never live. 
and not the law of God that we as sinners break over and over and over again each and every day. Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he never broke that law once, but instead kept all the commandments of God and obeyed all the precepts of God and followed perfectly all the ways of God and in doing so fulfilled in its entirety, non-Christian, the very law of God, all for the very children of God. Now we're simply fulfilling the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Since the wage of our sin, non-Christian, or the cost of our sin, non-Christian, is that of death. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ then, willingly paid the price for our sins that we could not pay by giving himself up on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute by being nailed to that cross and pierced on that cross and crushed on that cross, killed on that cross, and allowing his blood, non-Christian, to be poured out for the sins of many on that cross and in doing so appeased and satisfied then non-christian the wrath of a holy god all toward his sinful children and thus because of that jesus christ then non-christian this sinless son of god appeased then the wrath of a holy god all toward the very children of god and thus three days later then jesus christ for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave but instead three days later he Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. As the only one who can forgive you of your sin. As the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of verses 28 through 31, which read, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So as we see here in verse 28, Simon Peter then, church, says to Jesus Christ, see, 
We, the 12 disciples, have left everything and followed you. In essence, unlike the rich young ruler here. To which Jesus Christ then says to them in verses 29 and 30, that there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or land for Jesus' sake, and for that of the gospel's sake, that will not receive then 100-fold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land. Which is alluding to here, church, all the new brothers and sisters and family members that one receives when they become part of the family of Jesus Christ and to all the new possessions and goods and resources that one can also receive when they become part of the body of Jesus Christ as well. Since it's a body church that shares all that they have with one another. And although the true disciple of Jesus Christ will, verse 30, face persecution in this life, for they will also then, church, verse 30, receive the gift of eternal life in the age to come as well. To which Jesus Christ then says in verse 31, that many who are first will be last, and the last first. That many who are first will be last, and the last first. Seemingly summarizing here, church, as James Edwards explains, that those who take their stand on their riches, whatever they may be, will have nothing to stand on. Whereas those who are willing to give up everything, possessions, people, places, and even that of life itself, in order to faithfully follow Jesus, will not only be compensated for their sacrifices, but will be filled 100 times over with the same, and in the world to come, that of eternal life. And thus I want you to know, brother Christian, sister Christian, here this morning, that it is okay for you to unapologetically reject the idols of this world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that it is okay for you to not seek after the lifestyles of the rich and famous in order to more faithfully follow Jesus Christ. And even that it is okay for you, Christian, to lose that of life itself for the sake of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, since Jesus Christ has already promised you, Christian, that if you are willing to give up everything for his sake and for the gospel's sake, that it will lead to eternal life. And thus, because of that, never be afraid then, Christian, to be a fool in the eyes of the world or to look vastly different than that of this world, since only those Christian who are willing to die to self to lose their lives, to put themselves last, and to give up everything that this world has to offer for the sake of Jesus Christ will be given the gift of eternal life and gain entrance into the kingdom of God forever. Therefore, seek ye first, Christian, the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else, and no matter what, you have to give up along the way. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body put any idols or false gods or counterfeit gods or safety blankets that we are placing our trust in this morning to death. For if it is money, Lord, help us to turn from it. 
And if it is a possession, Lord, help us to flee from it. And if it is a love for popularity or power or influence, Lord, help us to mortify it as we seek to serve you, God, and you alone. Since you are the only one who can save us from our sins and give us the gift of eternal life. And thus let that humble reality, Lord, cause us then to be willing to forsake anything and everything that this world has to offer for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing full well that if we do, Father, that if even if it leads to some persecution in the here and now, that in the end it will all be worth it. Since in the end only those who are willing to be last to die to self and to give up everything for the sake of the gospel will in the age to come receive the gift of eternal life. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, again I pray that if we have anyone in this congregation today clinging to their possessions, running off to their rewards, seeking the wealth and the riches of this world, while also thinking they can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Father, convict them of this sin this morning. Help them to see that their God is not Jesus Christ, but is their possessions, their wealth, their love for money, and idols, and counterfeit gods, and false gods, and whatever else they may be. Father, you have called us to have no gods before you. Thus, let us be quick this morning, Lord, to look at our own lives, and to see if we have any other gods that we are unwilling to give up for Jesus Christ, any passions that we're willing to give up for Jesus Christ, any football teams, or degrees, or rewards, or jobs, or paychecks, or houses, or cars, or boats, or anything that we'd be unwilling to give up for Jesus Christ. Because if we have any of it, that is our God. And Father, I pray that we take whatever hoe and whatever axe is needed and we cut them off at the root. Father, we pray for your grace to be able to do so since we know that entrance into the kingdom and the gift of eternal life comes only to those who are willing to depend completely on you. Father, give us this heart, I pray, since we know it is impossible for man alone to achieve the gift of eternal life. As we pray for your grace to help us to come to faith in you, to maintain our faith in you, to grow in faith in you, all the way until today, our faith in you becomes sight. Do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>